Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Kim, Kim Addis, and she's an MBA and president and founder of the Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engineer Engine Software. She shares her personal struggle of overcoming adversity in her life, as well as identifying areas of growth and development. She coaches her clients in ways to identify where their thinking is interfering with their ability to take action. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, let's go through a little bit about the struggles that you face. You haven't met uh, this level of success without going through a lot of struggles. So let's go through some of them so our audience can learn from them and move forward as well. Sure. Where do you want to start? I mean, I'm, uh, I've got, a, got enough of a life behind me to say that I've had enough struggles. <laughs> Your choice, dear. You tell us a little. Uh, you know what? I've been running a coaching company for the past 17 years, and uh, I've got coaches in Canada and the U.S., but it wasn't always that way. When I first started, I was running a business, and I was the primary coach and I was the primary lead generator and I was the primary marketer and I had all the hats on. And for sure, uh, one of my greatest challenges was how do I grow this business? And so that was, that was something I had to figure out and uh, I didn't know how to go about that, but that was definitely a challenge at the time. And, uh, and in addition to that, when I first started coaching, I was, um, you know, I didn't have very much experience coaching. So I had fears around that too. But all of these things are things that you kind of work out and you figure out by trial and error sometimes by making some huge mistakes along the way and uh, and by uh, kind of falling and getting back up over and over and over and over again. Yes. You know, they, they say that uh, it's the hardest teacher, uh, the, the way that you've learned it, because it, te- it gives you the test before you get the lesson. Uh, that is for sure. I've had many, many tests, and I'm still sometimes trying to figure out the lesson, to be honest. But that's what life dishes out. So, when you, how did you fall in love with coaching? How did you find that this is your raison d'être? Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you a quick story. I think that coaching was in my DNA before I even came close to the close to the career of coaching. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I was 12 years old. And uh, I grew up in Montreal. And so I was entering, I was in grade seven. And in Montreal, grade seven is considered high school. So it was my first year in high school. And um, at lunchtime, it was the grade sevens and eights that had lunch together. And uh, it was lunchtime. And what you do after you eat lunch is you walk the hallways. And we had a circle. So we walked the circle. And there was a, a, a girl who walked by me who kind of shocked me. I was a very sheltered young girl at the time. And so there was a girl, she had very, very thin, scraggly hair. She was 
wearing a lumber jacket. She was very, very thin. She had a broken tooth and she had a cigarette coming out of her mouth. She wasn't smoking because you couldn't smoke inside, but she was getting ready for that. And I was like shocked. I was just so taken aback and I just couldn't stop looking at her. I couldn't take my eyes off of her because I had never been exposed to something like that. And she noticed that I was looking at her and she was not happy. And so what she did was she took me, she said, what are you looking at? I'm like, nothing. I'm good. You know, I'm not looking at anything. She didn't buy my story. And so the next thing I knew I was like up against the wall and she was like, in my face and she was ready to beat me up. And there was a whole bunch of people gathered around her and me and like, you know, egging her on. And I'm like, you know, please, I wasn't a fighter. I'm still not a fighter, but I'm like, please, please, please. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Like, you know, and my heart was racing and I was totally, I was terrified. And thank goodness a teacher came and stopped the fight and everybody went in their own direction. And that was that. But then I started dreaming about her. Her name happens to be Shelly. I started dreaming about Shelly. And, and so you might imagine that the dream was me waking up in like a hot sweat screaming. But that's not the, that wasn't the dream. The dream was that I was on a roller coaster with Shelly. And I was talking to her about how she could change her life and become a better person. <laughs> I was 12. But that dream was recurring. It happened to me throughout all of my years in high school. It was just a recurring dream. And so when you ask, how did I fall in love with coaching? For me, I think coaching was all about helping people kind of see themselves in a different light and see their potential, see their possibilities, starting with Shelly. Well, that's, that's an interesting story. And it shows how you evolved over time and how you uh, internalized some of these conflicts that you were going through and how you made them into your strengths as well. Yes, that's right. That's right. But Shelly left a mark. She doesn't know. I don't even know where she is now, but she left a mark. <laughs> well, you know, some of those things that happen to us are not necessarily a bad thing. They are bad at the time, and we have a hard time growing from them. But there are lessons that take us on to the next level. That's exactly right. And if we can start to learn to exert a certain kind of approach or a muscle that allows us to look at the events and try to find the good part in them, the silver lining, the lesson, the opportunity in those events, then we sort of start to build a bit of a strategic advantage. I think that for me, developed at a very, very young age. Now, tell us a little bit about your company and how your company raises people to new levels. So um, I'll give you a little history. I used to own a software company and we used to build simulation-based assessments to help people make better hiring decisions. So we got a, a huge amount of data about what differentiates top performers from others. And what we learned is that um, top performance has nothing to do with education or experience or um, or, or uh, what, what you might say as you know, your inherent skill set or anything like that. Um, what we learned is that top performance comes from the ability to have a high degree of emotional resilience. And so when you get knocked down, those people who are able to get back up and leverage the adversity, turn it into an advantage, that's when they succeed. So that's part A of the background. But part B is 
I ended up uh, selling my company and I was suddenly a free agent, didn't uh, have a job. And I was recruited very quickly by a coaching company here in Toronto. And I was very excited to go work for them because their mandate was to help people live extraordinary lives. And I thought, yes, that's for me. And so when I started working with them, I, first of all, lasted about eight and a half months. And the reason was that I'm not very employable. I'm an entrepreneur and it's hard for me to work for anybody else. But the second reason is that I observed how they coach. And I thought to myself, I think they're doing it wrong. I think that there's a better model. And that's when I started my own coaching company. And just to describe their model, it was accountability-based. So they would help business owners create a business plan and break that plan down into manageable components and then help those people do all the things on the plan. I thought to myself, people know how to make plans, but why aren't they executing on the plan? What's getting in the way? What's really at play here? Why aren't people doing what they know they should be doing in order to reach their goals? And that, by the way, doesn't only apply to business owners, but applies to everybody. You know what you're supposed to do to lose weight. Why is it so hard for people to do it? You know what you're supposed to do in order to, you know, get a promotion or to have a great relationship or whatever it is. Why is it so hard for people to execute sometimes? And I thought if I could get into people's heads and understand what's really at play, what really stops people from reaching their goals, then I would be a very effective coach. And that's when I started, I decided to start my own coaching company and I called it Frame of Mind Coaching. The idea was if I could get into people's heads and see what they're thinking, see how they feel about themselves and the world around them and see their level of confidence and self-awareness, then I could help them move ahead. And so from the very beginning, I decided that what I would do is I would ask my clients to journal in an online journal with me privately. But if I could see what they were writing to themselves and then ask them questions about it, then I could go very deep, very quickly and get behind the scenes. I could get that extra insight that most coaches can't get because they simply don't have the information. They don't have access to the data. And so that's what I did from the beginning. And I had no idea what I was on to because when I first started coaching, I thought if I could read people's journals, then I'll, it'll, it'll help me be a more effective coach. I didn't understand the power of journaling at the time. Again, 17 years ago, I didn't know that if someone journals every day, they'll make progress. But if they journal with their coach, their progress happens at lightning speed. And I didn't know that if they journal with their coach, the relationship between the coach and the client becomes very, very intimate, very personal, and they propel faster because they trust their coach. I just didn't know all these things, but here we are. Here you are. You've learned a lot about coaching. You've learned a lot about journaling and you've learned a lot about mindset. Yes. Delve a little bit more into mindset and maybe some of the mindsets that are keeping people from moving forward. Yeah, so what I've discovered over the years is that fundamentally people walk around unknowingly with a set of beliefs and those beliefs affect what they do and what they don't do and ultimately the results they get. So when we see someone who's frustrated because they aren't moving ahead, because they aren't reaching their goals, what most coaches do is say, well, what are you doing? And let's rearrange or let's address that and let's change your behavior so that it's easier for you to reach your goals. And what I fundamentally understood was that action follows thought, action follows beliefs. 
First, we have beliefs, then we have action. And if we don't address those beliefs, beliefs first, what we get is temporary change. We don't get long-term change. And so um, some of the beliefs that we see popping up are, you know, gee, I'm afraid of what people will think of me. And so it's better for me not to take the risk. Or it could be I'm not experienced enough, or I'm not smart enough, or who am I to deserve that? Or people around me don't uh, feel the same way I do. They don't have the same sense of urgency. They're not on the same page as me. Uh, they don't work as hard as I do. They don't deserve it as much as I do, or I don't deserve it as much as they do. And, and what we see is they seem to be polar opposite beliefs. But the truth is that both beliefs play a role in how people show up and how they interact and how they communicate and ultimately what the results they, they achieve, right? The results that they are getting. Yeah, so it's, it's fairly important to have people's beliefs changed, but that's not an easy thing to do. Let's talk about changing some of those false beliefs and how you help people do that. Well, the first thing we want to do is help people become aware of their beliefs. And that's the biggest challenge. It's a lot harder to help people become aware of their beliefs than it is to change their beliefs, by the way. Um, and so the journaling process allows us to do that quickly. And it allows us to pick up patterns, patterns of belief, patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, uh, their priorities, their values, etc. So that journal acts as a huge reflective device that allows them to see tangibly, because it's in their own handwriting, how they see the world, how they view the world. And the role of the coach is to say, okay, so is this how you see the world? And they say, yes. And then we say, is that view of the world consistent with your desire or your goal? And that's when the silence happens. That's when they go, maybe not so much. And that's, and what we've done in that moment is we've created an opening. We've created an opening, like a crack, like cracking open the door. And the moment the door is cracked open for an, an other alternative belief, that's when it becomes a lot easier. And what we're really not trying to do is change their beliefs like from black to white or from zero to, to 100. What we're trying to do is go through shades. Like, let's take one belief and change it just a little and then just a little more and then just a little more. But the minute that we're able to invite them to consider that perhaps this belief isn't serving them or isn't even true, that's the moment the coaching process begins and the magic takes place. And you say it, the magic takes place. Is it truly magic that happens? Oh, it's so magical. They, yeah. We call it FOM voodoo, FOM for frame of mind. But it's so magical. It's unbelievable. What we see is that people look different. They walk down the street and people say, did you get a haircut? Like, you look different. Did you lose weight? What's happening here? Because the weight is removed from their shoulders. So it's absolutely, and things happen to them that they wouldn't imagine in their wildest dreams because they're really simply focusing differently rather than all the things that are going bad and wrong and annoying them. They're focusing on what they want and what's possible and what's in front of them and the opportunities that are right in front of their nose. It is magic. That's huge. That's huge. 
who tell us some of your success stories. I'm sure some people would like to hear some of your success stories. Oh so my goodness. Identify with them as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories is that I was introduced to this uh, young man and it was a client of mine who said, I would like for you to coach a friend, but before you coach him, I want to say something, please treat him with kid gloves. And I'm a very direct person. And so I was a little bit surprised at how he tried to position things. I said, why, you know, why would you say that? He said, well, you know, he's in his early thirties. He's a very dear friend of mine and he has stage four cancer. I said, okay, um, I understand. And I got on the phone with him and I said, okay, I have two questions for you. Question number one is how much longer do you have left to live? And I have to say, like, I've never asked anybody that question before. It was tough to ask, but probably one of the most important questions I could have asked him. And he said, I'm not sure. I'm on all these experimental drugs. I've probably lived a lot longer than I was supposed to, but I'm guessing about two years. I said, great. What are you looking to achieve as a result of coaching? He said, well, I, what I really, really want from you is I want you to help me increase my productivity. Wow. That's what I thought. Wow. <laughs> right? Two years left and he wants to increase his productivity. And I said, and, and, and my, like, my mind was blown. I'm like, wow, if I had two years left to live, I think I'd have other things on my mind. I said, why is that important to you? He said, well, look, he said, you know, I have a small window here. My mother is aging and I want to grow my business and sell it. So I make sure that she is in a financially good place. And that's my priority right now. That's what I need to do. I said, okay, well, let me ask you another question. What do you really, really want more than anything? He said, what, what I really, really want is more time. And what I want is to uh, be in a great relationship. And what I want is to run a marathon and I want to buy a house and I do want to sell my company and I want to take my mother on this great vacation. I said, let's do that. Let's do all those things. And one of the things that I discovered was he owned a financial services company and extremely bright guy, but he was the guy who brought in every lead, every client. And he was the guy who made sure every single thing that went out the door, he was looking at it and putting his stamp of approval on it. And I said, you can't keep doing that. You're never going to grow your business. You're, you're, what you're doing is you're creating a bottleneck in your business and the bottleneck is you. And we need to really talk about hiring people. And he said, I can't afford to hire people. I'm like, to be honest, you can't afford not to hire people. Your life is at stake. We have to hire people. And so his belief was, I can't afford it. His belief was, this is the way I need to do it. His belief was, if you could just help me cram more in a day, if you could just help me focus more so that I'm never, ever, ever distracted, not even for a minute, then I'll reach my goals. And that belief was very faulty. Yeah, it sounds and like so, a very faulty belief. And it sounds like a non-sustainable belief non-sustainable. And I said, listen, my job is to help you lower your stress so you have a better fighting chance with these experimental drugs. That's my job. And so he became open to the idea of hiring some people and he started to understand how, okay, he could hire one person at a time and afford it reasonably. Well, that was seven years ago. In those seven years, he got married. He uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He took his mom on two great vacations. He bought a home. He sold half his company and he's still thriving. And now he's thinking about how do I have kids? So 
I would say that's a good story. That is a good story. And, and I think it also shows something else. Although there's this prediction out there that people say, oh, you've got two years to live or things like that. These are merely predictions. And, and you have to realize that there's a lot of variables that go into those predictions. And one of them is that stress equation that you were able to tap into there. By decreasing his stress, I think you gave him more longevity as well. Yeah, I mean, his stress comes and goes, to be fair. But I redirected what was possible for him, right? And got him out of the, the thinking that this is the only way forward. And I just got to figure out how to maximize every single ounce of myself, as opposed to, I have two years left to live. Let me do the things I really want to do in this time frame. So that was, that was a, a good story. But I mean, we have so many good stories. Let's you know. talk about another one so that other people have another, another one reference to do it. Yeah. I'll tell you another story. I was coaching this, uh, this gentleman who, and, and I'll tell you what it triggered actually for us. I was coaching a gentleman who had a very, very successful business, you know, multi, multi-million dollar business doing very, very well. Uh, but he came to me because he was having trouble with his 17 year old daughter. She was just out of control. Um, and he didn't know what to do to help her or to help increase her control. He would do things like take her phone away. Um, and she would just find ways around it. Uh, but he discovered that she was literally climbing out the window at night to meet up with boys and he was losing his mind. And so the harder that she found ways around it, the harder he tried to control situa- the situation. And he realized like he's, he's losing. She was way smarter than, she, than he was by far. One day he found out that not only she climbed out the window, She left her shoes behind so that it could look like she was sleeping in her bed. Um, And so the the conversation is bright. She certainly was bright, super bright. But the conversation went like this. He said, I'm terrified for my daughter's life. Like she's, you know, drinking, she's meeting up with boys. Like this is terrible. And I'm really afraid that something awful is going to happen to her. And I said, yes. And what you're doing is you're trying to control things that are actually not in your control. And the harder you try to exert control, the less of a relationship you have with your daughter. And so what you need to do in order to build a relationship with your daughter is give her control. Because what you want to do is be able to influence her. And you can't influence without a relationship. And and I don't mean influence in a negative way. I mean, to have a positive influence on your daughter. And so it was huge for him to concede and accept the fact that at the age of 17, really nothing was in his hands anymore. And the only thing that was in his hands was to be there for his daughter to say, hey, daughter, I trust you. Because everything you're doing is demonstrating you don't trust her. You don't think she has good judgment, that she's a bad decision maker. And so what is she going to do? She's going to hide from you. That's the last thing you want. And so we completely rearranged the way he looked at his relationship with his daughter and rearranged the way that he interacted with her and let go of his need to control her actions because he figured out that it was futile, not only futile, it was 
it was counterproductive. It was leading him to outcomes that were in direct opposition to what he really wanted. And so within actually not that long, within a few months, the relationship between him and his daughter was completely mended. And she was still doing some things he wasn't so proud of, but she was talking to him. She wasn't hiding anymore. The lines of communication had opened. And from there, he could share with her what he thought, what he felt, what he was afraid of. And she calmed down quite a bit. She didn't need to hide anymore. She didn't need to climb out windows. She could walk out through the front door. So it's another story to me that, you know, we're coaching leaders, we're coaching executives, but the way that an executive thinks in one area of a life will profoundly affect the way they think in another. And so for us, we're coaching the whole person and all of the things that they encounter, not just the business stuff, but the personal stuff too. I, I think that's important. And I think that's where you're leading people and helping people along the way. So in this program, I always ask two questions. And one is a personal question of you. And that is, Kim, how do you have a fantastic life in all the things that you've learned up to this point? How do I have a fantastic life? Well, I think one of the most fantastic aspects of my life is the relationships that I have. So I have five children and I'm very, very close to all of them. I have an incredible, I'm married for the second time. So I learned from my mistakes, right? So I have an incredible relationship the second time around. I'm close with my mother-in-law. My coaches are all amazing. Like I have a wonderful group of friends, but it's that understanding We work so hard in this lifetime to try to achieve something, but at the end of the day, it's the connections that really matter. And that's what matters to me the most. And that's where I invest most of my effort. That's huge. That's huge. Now, second question is the flip side of that. And that is how, what would you recommend for our listeners to have a fantastic life? How would you recommend them? Uh, to have it. Maybe you're talking to your coaching people. Maybe you're talking to the people you coach. Uh, maybe you're talking to, to your, your company. How would you recommend them to have a fantastic life? So, uh, and, and nobody would be too surprised if, if I say this, but I will. Um, one of the most powerful things about helping you live a, a lighter, more enlightened, more productive, more satisfying, more joyful life is to really understand the, this relationship between the way you think, the way you see things, the beliefs that you have, the actions you take, and then the results you get. It's very, very important. So we live in a state of kind of oblivion. And so the idea of becoming great, more greatly aware of this is very important. But the question is, how do you become aware? And I can't recommend the process of journaling nearly enough. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to give your listeners a journaling assignment. Is that cool? That's cool. That's cool. Okay. It's cool. Okay. So here's the assignment. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to give you two questions to think through. Question number one, what do you really, really want more than anything? And I put two reallys in there on purpose because I want you to think about what you truly deeply want not what someone else wants for you, not what is expected of you, not what your parents want, your spouse wants, your children wants, your business wants, your neighbors, nobody. What do you truly deeply in your heart want? Question number two, 
So what's stopping you from having what you really, really want? What are the reasons you don't have it? Write down the whole entire list. And what I want you to start to understand is that list, that represents your beliefs. And start to ask yourself whether or not those beliefs are lined up with the goals you have. And I'll throw one more thing out there. If you're really, really bold, and I know some of you are, send your responses to me. Send your journaling responses to me. And I will take a look at them and I will respond personally to your journaling to your journaling responses. And I'll give you my email address. It's Kim at frameofmindcoaching.com. How's that? Cool, Kim. And, and I here we are. We're just about at our end now. Is there another way people can get in touch with you? Maybe a website or things like yes. that? Yes. So I'm like going to give you two websites. So if you're a leader, an executive, an entrepreneur, and you're looking for some coaching, come to frameofmindcoaching.com. And if you're a person who knows a younger person between the ages of 18 and 35, someone who maybe is going through a life transition, Maybe they're trying to figure out their career, their relationships, right? They just want some guidance. We created a coaching process of coaching program for young people. And we call it the journal that talks back. And you get assigned to a coach and you can journal as much as you want with the coach and your coach will read and respond to your journals within 24 hours. And if you want to find out more about that, it's go directly to the journal that talks back Cool, Kim. Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Kim Addis, an amazing person thank you. who has a business called Frame of Mind Coaching. And I thank her for being on the show today. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like this show, please say you liked it on whichever medium you're on or whatever platform you're on or whatever radio station you're on and pass it along so we can grow our, our people even more. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much. Stay well. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up That's a copy right. of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.